Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. In this episode, I sit down with Deputy Chief Jessica Nowoski and discuss how we can develop intentional leadership throughout our organizations. There's a lot to unpack in this one. I left the conversation with some great examples of things we can do right now in our units, teams, and organizations to develop a culture of leadership and become more effective coaches and mentors. Deputy Chief Jessica Nowoski, thank you for being on the show. Uh, For those listeners that don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about your experience and how you found yourself studying intentional leadership, I guess we could call it for now. Good morning, Marcus. It's really good to be here. You know, I promoted to captain back in uh, 2014, and I had my bachelor's at the time in in criminal justice administration, so not much formal leadership uh, education. And I found myself looking around, figuring out, hey, you know, how am I going to bring leadership development to my organization? And that was one of the things we were talking about at the time. And I was really um, just kind of figuring out what am I going to do to do that. And I had contemplated getting a master's degree and wasn't set on exactly in what area I was going to study. And then I found St. Mary's in Moraga and they have a leadership program there. And it really happened when I went over to meet some friends in the Pleasanton Police Department and they all were showing me all the things they do internally for leadership development. And a half of them had been through the master's program at St. Mary's. And then come to find out my, at the time, my chief had also graduated from that program. And when the program was first started back in like 2000, 2001, it was specifically for law enforcement. So I was like, okay, that was kind of the, every, the planets were aligning and, and, and I looked into the program and got set up for it. And by October of, or September of 2015, I was on my way. I had started my, my program in leadership and, uh, and then did all of my studies. I aligned everything that I did in school with everything I needed to do at work. And that's really, for me, that was the key to success with a, a young family and a husband in the military who was actually deploying that year. He deployed six days after I started my master's program. So that was how I aligned it. And uh, we've done a lot of work in the police department in in relation to leadership development based on a lot of things that I've learned from that program. One of the reasons why I asked you to come come and uh, talk to us about that is a lot of agencies have various versions of leadership programs. But in my experience, uh, anecdotally, they are not intentional or designed. They're uh, often good intentions and they're good components, but there's not a systematic approach to that. And because of that, it lowers the efficacy of their programs. And so you may have success briefly or in a small part of your organization, but you don't have that whole culture shift to everyone taking a leadership role despite their rank or their position, which really changes the culture of your organization. And I thought the things that you talked about and and kind of your approach and what you learned would be valuable to our listeners to see that uh, oftentimes in our organizations, we train by osmosis. And there is a way that we can take advantage of academia to learn this process and then apply it to our, our profession, which is the trend, right? In our in our profession right now, how can we leverage uh, real scientific data and real research, which often justifies what we know already, but definitely leads to better uh, solutions and more comprehensive change. Absolutely, you know, I don't think that uh, every captain or commander or lieutenant has to go out and get a master's degree in leadership to bring leadership development. I think what you said about being intentional and what I refer to uh, deliberate development is really the key. And we, through, through that process, and just by the nature of me being in the master's program, we had an opportunity to do a research project within my organization that really focused on how to bring about coaching skills for supervisors. And within a coaching style of leadership really brings about 
a developmental process for people. And, and then we looked at the system. You said system. And I thought, aha, you know, he's keying in on something that also is really important. And one of the things that I was keenly aware of is how busy we all are all of the time. I mean, we have so many balls in the air as a lot as a as an organization, as an industry, that the last thing we needed to do was create some offshoot program that we're going to put people through and make more work for people. So what we had to do was really sit back and go, where are there processes already embedded in our organization and our systems that we can leverage and tweak slightly to bring about more professional development? And that's what we set out to do. And uh, it, you know, certainly I had a, a wonderful group of people that were willing to kind of go on this journey with me. And I was already, as a captain over field operations, I was already meeting with my field operations division team once a week. So, so with that, I didn't add meetings to our schedule. I just said, hey, every other week, we're gonna spend some time talking about this project. And we're gonna do it very deliberately on purpose, very focused, and we did that. And through that, we actually identified a few things that we were already doing that we could tweak slightly. One thing was our evaluations. Um, we have our typical annual evaluations on every employee, but we also for years had had, because we are on a rotation, a four month or so rotation of shifts, we call them trinaries. Because of that, we would have each sergeant write a short or abbreviated evaluation for every employee. And to me, it was double the work because now you're writing two or three trinary evaluations a year and an annual evaluation, and one really wasn't supporting the other. So what our team decided to do was pull the trinary evaluations and say, let's get rid of that. It's not helpful. And let's replace it with a tool that could be help the, the sergeant focus the officer on their own development. So we replaced it with a self-evaluation tool that basically asks three questions. What, uh, what do I need to lean into in this next rating period? Uh, you know, what did I learn and what, what are some things that I could do better and how could my supervisor support me? And then that is used to create a conversation between the supervisor and the employee. And then you have active supervision of your, of your officers and your staff as you go through the year so that when you do give them feedback, it's ongoing on purpose for the purpose of that person's development and what they wanna learn. Maybe it's technical skills, knowledge and ability. Maybe somebody wants to eventually go into the detective bureau. Okay, maybe that's a piece of it. Maybe someone's having a hard time communicating with their team members. Maybe they're not, you know, they don't have the best reputation. Maybe they're struggling somewhere interpersonally and that's a conversation they could have with their sergeant. But this tool helped them kind of lay the groundwork for them to have those conversations. And it wasn't just your typical annual evaluation that you know, you look at there, how many cases did you solve? How many citations did you write? How many arrests did you make? You know, it was it went far beyond that. Well, and you're talking about you also have consistency now, right? So every supervisor does it differently and uses their own format. And now you've given them a process where everybody knows what to expect. So I know what we're going to talk about. You know what we're going to talk about. And then together, I can still put my personality or my thoughts as a supervisor in that, but it's very predictable. And when it's predictable, you can repeat it. And as you repeat it and you do it more consistently, you actually change the culture versus, it, you know, up and down. Yeah, exactly. I think that, I think you have to allow for styles of sergeants. I mean, you want as much consistency as possible, but you know, everybody's going to have their own approach. Uh, to whatever it is they're doing. One of the other things that we did, and um, you know, you being you know on SWAT and understanding that background is, you know, we do a critical incident debrief where you go over, you know, if you hit a house or uh, you have a, a planned operation, you're gonna go serve a high risk search warrant, and afterward, you know, you do your briefing, and afterwards you sit, you come back, and you really pick it apart, and you do a very thorough debriefing of that high risk call. So we took that concept and we said, how could we leverage a process that we're all familiar with already and apply it to kind of the day in day out patrol operations. And, and, and we said, we want you guys, and we had the sergeants help us build this form and then they initiate when they're gonna use it. And it doesn't have to be a critical incident. It could be an unusual incident. It could be a kind of an involved incident. It doesn't have to necessarily be high risk, just more of an involved incident to where 
um, you had multiple pieces moving at the same time, or you had to set up a perimeter, and, or let's say you got information or initially that was really threw you off. And when you found out what the call really was, so you come back and you debrief these calls and what that does in the process of you know, getting into the habit of where were you? What, what did you hear? The call came out. What did you do in the call? What was your role? And what did you see your other officers doing in the call? And that way everybody learns what the perspective is of the other person. And you develop a habit of talking about, oh, I could have done that better. And being able to say that to yourself and to your teammates, it's not about pointing the finger. It's not about finding fault. It's about learning how you approach this call. What, what did the other person think you guys were going to? How did you communicate with your fellow officers in approaching a particular case or a particular call? And how could you have done it better? And when you, when you put that in the hands of the officers and the sergeants and you have the, the maybe the uh, investigating officer run that in briefing, you're giving them the opportunity to really showing showcase hey it's okay that we're gonna we're just gonna get better no matter what we're doing it doesn't have to be a critical call we're just gonna work on getting better and talking through these calls all of the time and when you have when you start to change the culture to do that you are in essence creating a learning organization an organization that's always looking as their underlying operation system you know this is running in the background of everything we do we're always looking to how can we improve what we're doing Agreed, and that and that's how you build high-performing teams, right? You focus everybody on the mission, not the individual, and you evaluate performance based on did it help the mission, not am I good or bad. The value is placed on performance as a team, and so once you do that and establish that, you're you can separate your personality and your ego from yes, I didn't do that right, and here's what I'm going to do next time. And, and you said something that was really key there is setting that vision for the mission. I think that it's really important that organizations, uh, you can do it on teams, siloed teams. I mean, obviously you're, you have the experience that if you wanted to be focused on that from a SWAT perspective, you don't necessarily need your top management to be that involved because you guys are a specialized team. You're gonna train together, you're gonna work together. But if you want this to happen for the entire organization, you really need to start with your command staff. You need to start with your chief and your captains, or if you have an assistant or deputy chief, that kind of thing. They need to have the buy-in that this is what we're going to do and here's why. And you want to be careful that you're if you're going to start something like this, you don't swallow the ocean. You're not trying to, you know, change too fast usually isn't comfortable and people don't respond too well and you lose everybody in the room. But you can start with, you know, go slow to go fast and figure out where you already have opportunities in your organization to apply to this kind of thing. You know, How can we be more developmentally focused in our learning, in our operations, in what we're doing? And where could we make some changes? You know, have, have people been complaining about the evaluation system forever? And is it time to put together a work group to overhaul that to make it useful for the end user? Like what does the end user need through that process to learn and uh, to do better and to focus on. And then, you know, when you're interviewing for sergeants promotions and you're asking questions of people, you know, tell us, you know, an example of uh, who you've mentored and what impact you've left on people around you and your sphere of influence. When you embed that in the language, in the day-to-day -day language or in the uh, promotional process language, people walk away going, oh, that's important. That's important to, the command staff. That's important to management. We we need to focus on that. And then you bring you can bring in training if you have all hands trainings or if you have you know CPT. We rotate our trainings every other month. Uh, one half trains and the other half trains. You could bring in an outside speaker to kind of light it up. You could put together a work group and you kind of want to look for people that are already interested. That you want you really do want volunteers that are going to champion a focus like this. And it doesn't have to be a program. We kind of stayed away from programming because we're all so tired of that. And the other thing is you can't rely on sending people out to leadership training and then they come back to the same old system because then they can't, they don't see where they could apply the leadership skills that they're learning. 
Um, it really needs to be internally, you need to find out how you can tweak your operations internally to fold in the learning that people are going out and, and receiving and then coming back and sharing with you. That's a, a fantastic point because I, I can tell you so many people talk to me about, I went out, did this training, my department told me to go there. They said it was great. I came back and they didn't do one thing that this training said. They don't do any of it and they don't want to listen to me talk about it. And we, we do the check the box deal. And then oftentimes it's not that those things aren't good. They're just not tailored to your organization. And we all have the same problems, but in different ways. You know, we all have the police officer deputy or someone in our organization that complains about winning the lottery because they have to pay taxes, right? And, <laughs> sure. and so, so it, it doesn't matter what you do in that arena, it's their perspective. So, so how do you address, you know, that? And, and every agency is a little bit different. So I, I think that's a great point. I, I think uh, we uh, are jaded as a profession. So when someone tries to sell us a program, uh, we automatically are, uh, you know, this guy's trying to get promoted. This gal's just coming back from something, or this is the captain's uh, favorite person that's just trying to do what they want. And I think you pick those people that want change and are willing to do the work and that builds your momentum. And then you're going to, you're going to people, other people will see it and believe it because those are the people that are in the trenches that they know live their life that way and they'll follow them. And then right. that really leaves your last percentage of your group that, you know, sometimes you just have to bring with you dragging. And that's, yeah, that's you, you know, in, in coaching, there is something that, that we say all the time and it's um, you have to meet people where they are. And it's no different in an organization that you, you have to start with a real honest assessment as to where is your organization currently situated uh, with, with, the focus that, or, or lack of focus that you would have on leadership development. And, and here's, you know, I just wanna say one more broad comment about why that's important. We expect officers to go out into the field and treat the community with a high level of respect, give them a high level of service. We also need our officers to be technically competent. They have to be able to walk into a situation and do a very quick threat assessment and, and a lot depends on them being correct and, and doing that really, really good. Um, so we, we ask a lot of them, but then you cannot have an organization that has mor morale issues or a culture that doesn't support the, the officers themselves. You know, if there's not a wellness program, if there's not a focus on, you can't have espoused values that you don't live. You know, you can't say we value family and then expect people to have a two week maternity leave and come back to work hitting the ground running. When you say you value family, that's not really your, your, you're not walking your, your talk type of a thing. And so you, you really need to do an honest assessment where you are in your organization and what kind of service to the community and where you're hitting the mark and where you're missing the mark and start there. That's a good place to start. You can start small. You can start with, a, I'm sure, so many people in your organization have really good ideas, whether or not they are, um, you know, passionate about leadership studies or not. I'm sure they have really good ideas about what works for them and what doesn't. You know, what are some of the things their favorite sergeant or their favorite, you know, lieutenant does to make them feel valued, heard, and taken care of? And then identify, okay, how could we leverage those things that we already have currently in our organization and build on it. So you have to really start where you're at. And figuring out what foundation you already, strengths you have and work on those and then try to mitigate those weaknesses as best you can. What we're, uh, as far as coaching goes, you brought up coaching, which is an entirely uh, different but related topic. In our profession, I don't know how much coaching we really get. And some organizations really have a good culture of coaching. They have formalized coaching programs where you can, you have mentorship and it's, it's actually defined and there's a whole system, but most of them, I would say it's by osmosis. And you, you pick somebody that you gravitate to because you like the way they make decisions. They're a respected leader. They walk the talk and you go to them and say, Hey, I, I want to learn, which is okay. That's a great way to do it. But if you're looking at it from an organizational point of view, you're missing a lot of opportunities. And so looking at how you, already have kind of defined a, 
a, a purposeful way to develop leadership. Tell me about tell me about your experiences in marrying that with coaching. Okay, well, so the first thing I have to say, and I think this is going to surprise you, it shouldn't, but um, you know, so I, we haven't said this yet out loud, but um, I know you because I came to Santa Rosa PD back in two thousand, and you had been there. Um, I don't know, year and a half or two years or something like that, uh, but had recently, you know, gotten off the FTO program. And when I was just about to get off the FTO program, they sent two officers that volunteered to come kind of as a mentorship or just to touch base, to not be a supervisor, to not be an FTO, but just to touch base. And you were one of those people that, that came to me and gave me kind of a space to talk about my experiences in Santa Rosa, what I was struggling with, what was working, what wasn't, you know, just that support. And um, obviously, you know, down the road, I ended up going back to Mountain View and leaving Santa Rosa. I brought that back with me. So we do that now. Um, so you stole from us. Yes, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> Which is a great idea. law enforcement tradition. <laughs> absolutely. It was fantastic. And so we kind of tweaked it a little bit. And what we do is we, um, we set FTOs that volunteer or people that have recently gotten off the FTO program. Um, and we connect them with people that are in the academy and then through FTO so that those FTOs that you don't have to rely on your FTO, your sergeant, your FTO sergeant, you can rely on someone else that's in your organization that, you know, has kind of got a lifeline and we don't have a formal mentoring program. We've talked about it a lot over the years. The organizations that do implement a formal mentoring program, it, it, there's pros and cons. So I'm, I don't want to say negative if you have a formal mentoring program because yours might work. But I think what we try to do is just support a culture of mentorship in our organization. And it is important. We're always, you know, when we talk to people about their own development, we're looking for them to identify relationships that they already have, people that they trust and look up to, that they could, you know, talk more about, you know, their blind spots or talk more about where they need to lean in or ask for, specifically ask for that feedback. And with the coaching piece, which I think is distinctly different um, than mentoring, that is just one way that we could develop leadership development. And we use that, it, and it's really a, a manager as coach style is, is what you will find it in the coaching industry. It's based on a few principles. And the big principles are uh, very contrary to what we learn in law enforcement. You know, you, like I said, you have to walk into that scene. You have to come to a very quick judgment on what you're seeing, who's the threat, who's sitting down. You're making decisions very quickly. And we, we re- we establish that in our officers, we train that, and we expect them to do that when they go out into the field, have command presence. But if you supervise on a day-to-day -day like that with your people, that doesn't tend to go over very well. So we kind of have to learn when do we need to jump to conclusions and be very correct about those? And when do we need to stay curious? When do we need to say, well, I'm not sure if this officer thought of this, that, or the other thing when you're reviewing a report, Instead of coming to them and saying, hey, your report's missing X, Y, and Z, having a conversation that says, um, help me understand what's going on here. I think I'm missing some points. Walk me through this. So your language changes to be more open. You actually train yourself not to jump to conclusions about other people's motives or why they may be in a bad mood. And you don't label people as disgruntled or lazy or whatever, because everybody's got a story. There's always more to it under the waterline of the iceberg, right? And so when you assume that those things are happening, you slow down and it really, when you approach people with that kind of style and you listen more deeply and listen more effectively, people feel heard, they feel respected. And that in and of itself improves the quality of the relationship between the supervisor and the officer or the employee. And it, it will change morale over time it will, it will improve morale. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I would take it a step further to what you're talking about, especially like our generation, we, we came up underneath that very uh, authoritarian method, right? Where it was like, you're wrong. Here's what you fix. And you did that. And sometimes they told you the why, and sometimes they didn't, but it was very much. And we talk about this a lot uh, in the SWAT community, very much procedural based and not principle based. And, and the real way to create excellence is to figure out 
how somebody thinks and then help them work on the way that they think. So telling them that they're wrong and showing them the correction is great, but if they don't understand why, then, then they won't always make a better choice when they have something a little different. And so the in, talking about what you're saying, I, I, I don't know how you think unless I'm quiet enough to listen and ask, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a great balance, you're right. Just, hey, why, how did you do that? Why did you do that? Tell me what you were thinking. And then you can figure out where they were coming from. Absolutely. And that's really the essence of coaching is, is uh, deepening your listening. And it really has to do, you're the, you're the instrument when you're the coach. So you really have to be aware of your own mindset and open up the space to be curious about. You listen with the intent to understand versus listening with the intent to be right. And you know the difference and you can practice this. In fact, that's part of our research the very first competency in coaching that we decided to work on because it's such a critical piece and it sounds so simple, but it's such a critical piece is listening. And that was the very first competency that we practiced. And everybody that was in the project ended up practicing, even though it was manager as coach, they ended up practicing at home with their family members. And what they found was they, they, they were observing themselves while their spouse or daughter, what have you, was talking to them with their own internal narrative just spinning, going. They're, they're wanting to jump in. They wanted to say, yeah, but they wanted to fix it. And they had to go, oh, wow, that's happening. I just need to listen and ask myself open questions like, where are they going with this? What else is happening here? Is this the whole story? Because sometimes somebody will be upset about something and you scratch it a little bit or you dig a little deeper and you find out, wow, that, that wasn't it at all. They're really upset about something over here. And you find out that it's something completely different. And with really quality listening, you just that one shift in that one person in that conversation, you can go from you know, a, a conflict to deepening your understanding and then that person feeling really hurt. And so when we practice that, the participants in the research came back and realized, hey, yeah, I feel like it was a mini therapy session because I feel closer. It built, it built more connection with the other person. So imagine doing that in the workplace where you feel connected to the people that you're working with and that they're supporting you. They've got your back. I know it sounds all touchy-feely, but everybody, every human being needs connection. They need to feel belonging. And Brene Brown does really, really phenomenal work. And I, I rely on uh, some of her pieces a lot um, to kind of support that. And she's worked with the military and law enforcement and whatnot, but she's fantastic. So yeah, it starts with the simple thing of listening. And I know people laugh at that and they're like, oh, you, that, that's what you're working on. And it's like, trust me, it's very impactful. Um, I'm just wondering how much my copay is gonna be for this when we're done so that uh, <laughs> I can learn how to be a better, but you're, you're absolutely right, right? It's all about it. And, and we see that in high performing teams, right? And that's how you get your ego out of the way like internally, that's how you get your ego. But imagine, you know, the, the high-performing teams I've been part of or observed uh, were able to say some very direct things to each other regarding their performance on a mission and not, not in a horrible way, not in an attacking way, but people weren't defensive. And that's because they'd done this process so many times. It wasn't just about focusing on the mission, that was part of it, but it was about actually listening and not being right, right? And we've all done that. And anybody who's Absolutely. been in a relationship has done that. And uh, you you said you scratched the surface and I, I was laughing, trying not to laugh because it was a serious statement, but how many times at home do you fight with your partner, your spouse about something that is ridiculous because that's not really what you're fighting about. And Absolutely. we do the same thing in the workplace. It's no different. We fight about nope. nonsense because that's not what we're, uh, that's not really what we're mad about. Yeah, a lot of times we're fighting over what I think you said or what I think you meant when you said X. And when, you know, when, when somebody isn't paying attention to their impact matching their intent, you know, that's our responsibility. If I'm gonna communicate something to you, my responsibility is to make sure that what I intend to say and what I'm intending to communicate to you actually lands the way that I mean it to. And that's digging deeper into that, that 
subset of coaching in communication and really clarifying that because high functioning teams do rely on those skill sets to perform at a high level. And the other piece that you said about giving feedback, I think when you have um, a higher quality relationship and you know the other person is coming from a really good place and that they have your best interests at heart, you can be more direct. You don't have to dance around things because that other person knows that you're not trying to attack them. They know you're not trying to hurt them. They know that they're watching out for your career and they're trying to support you so that you could be successful, help to, you know, you to be successful. And when that happens, you're able to really get to the bottom of it and figure it out. And then the last piece I will say to that that is essential is we all have to practice that self-awareness. And that's is creates vulnerability. We have to be vulnerable to be able to look at ourselves and admit that, hey, I don't know everything. And I don't, I'm not going to get it right all the time. And I may say something off the cuff that lands wrong. I got to own that. I got to say, hey, can I get a can I get a redo? I didn't mean to say it that way. I'm distracted. My mind's over here. Here's what I really meant. You know, we have to be aware of that. And there's certain skill sets that you can embed in an organization and practice those skill sets over and over, you know, in different groups in a different way, leveraging what you already have in your system that's already in place for you. You don't have to go changing or, you know, changing the whole way that you do business, but you just enhance the way we do business and understand why we're making it better. It's not because we need to be a softer industry. It's not about that. We need to be a higher performing industry so that we can get out of the news. (laughs) You know, we want to be in the news for good reasons, not in trouble. You know, we want to have high, high trusting relationships with our community. They need to know that we are professionals. This is a profession, not a job. Yeah. And that's a huge movement uh, where I think, I don't think our, I don't think we're at the infancy of that movement of professionalism, but I think that there's some formal things that we've yet to do to embed throughout our profession and uh, I think that's why you're seeing us partner with uh, academia to do research and data and to bring that. And then the next part of that really is, is the accountability, right? We've all heard transparency, accountability, transparency, accountability. And that's that evolution that we're going through because the people that came before us, uh, and you see this in the tactical communities a lot, we just told everybody we were great. And then uh, somebody peeled back the curtain and found out we weren't so great and we did some dumb right. things. And, and if we don't, as a profession, get better at regulating that and acknowledging it, but fixing it, uh, yeah. someone else is going to do it for us. And those people that are going to do it for us don't always have our best interest in mind and don't always understand the complexities of our job. And that's the, you know, that's kind of what we're going through right now, that and the redefinition of the social contract, right? And what, what are we going to yeah. police and what we aren't? And that's different in every community in the state of California. And it's different throughout the country. And that's, I think, what makes law enforcement in America great, but also makes it really hard to execute. Absolutely. I think, I think there are a lot of things that we need to identify that are at the core a fundamental heart of policing in the United States. And what and, and that's holding people accountable. It's making sure that we're keeping our community safe. We're identifying crime and crime trends and we're catching the bad guys and we're keeping our people safe. I mean, at the core, that is why we are there. That's how we should function or, or what we should be doing. Now we talk about the how, and that is really, there could be two truths at the same time that seem in conflict with each other, but you know, the fact that there's this whole defund movement, which I don't agree with, obviously, but I do think that we need to be part of this conversation because I don't want somebody else that doesn't understand the complexities of policing writing the next few chapters for our, our industry. I think we need to be at the table having these dialogues and you need to have these skill sets to really listen to what the community is saying. And, and sometimes you get you know, p- folks that really are just jumping on a bandwagon because it's popular to hate the police. And, and I understand that. And that's very frustrating. We need to, we need to rise above that frustration. And it's, I deal with it every day, Marcus, honest to goodness. I'm not trying to say that, oh, I got it all figured out. It is a struggle every single day to feel like our, my, the profession that I have been so proud of for 20, almost 26 years is under attack. It's very difficult. And I just have to remember that 
you know, it's worth it to be at the table and to have these conversations with community and to engage with them because I want them to see us for who we are. I want them to know who we are. I want them to know what our values and what our, our procedures are so that they do go, okay, that makes sense. I trust you and that they feel safe in the community. We're able to do our jobs. And I don't think as an industry, we've done a very good job of that across the board. I think we've held on to old concepts of we know what we're doing, don't ask, you don't know how to police and just let me do it and not you know, being open and, and honest with our community about that or letting them question. We have to let them question with, you know, I love the whole saying in Spider-Man, uh, when, when you know, great power comes great responsibility. And, and I think that is true for law enforcement. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, you go back to Robert Peel's you know, principles of policing and they're still true today as they were then. And, and it's all about that, right? We have to reflect the communities that we work in. And that's why uh, in Santa Rosa, policing is a little bit different than it is in Compton. And it's a little bit different right. than it is in San Diego. And it's a little bit different than it is in Seattle. Thank God. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, that that's that conversation that that give and take that has to happen. It's just not pretty and uh extremes on both sides you know can really make it difficult and especially today you know if you think of the last couple times in our profession we've been through this we didn't have the technology that we have now and because of that yep we we i think we went a little deeper and a little darker quicker than the the last couple times we've done this and hopefully we'll come out of it a little bit quicker well, we'll the, I think the, the positive thing for me, and I'm an optimist, but I think the optimistic thing is that um, our industry has had to adapt and overcome a lot uh, in, in its history. And I think we're already very capable of doing that. I think we already have the innate skill sets that are going to support us in, in being successful. I think the challenge really is that chiefs and managers and law enforcement organizations, as they're managing the external conversations, they cannot neglect the internal conversations. You have to bring your department along with you. You have to hear what your officers are experiencing. I mean, before we started talking, you'd said, oh, that was the word, the fun part of policing is over for us because we're not out in the community working the beat and that kind of thing where we enjoyed that, that part of our career. Um, and we have to acknowledge that we're not boots on the ground out in the field in our uniform, like the officers that are patrolling our neighborhoods. We need them as part, because they're the ones that are going to deliver the goods, right? So we need them to be part of the conversation. We need to engage and hear from them. What is challenging you most in our community? What is making policing really hard for you? What, how can we as an organization better support you? And what do you need the community to know about you and about what we do in policing? and where can we improve? And the beat officer holds a lot of knowledge. And in the, or, you know, in the traditional structure, command and control structure, we sometimes forget that leadership is happening at all levels of our organization. Leadership isn't, isn't a, a, a person or a, a privilege you know, where you, you have rank, it's not just about that. It's an activity that everyone is engaged with, especially in law enforcement, at all levels of the organization. And we need to know how to tap into that and keep uh, in conversation with our internal people if we're gonna be successful. Yeah, take that ownership, right? Take, take ownership of the, your profession. I would actually argue that I think the higher you go in the organization, it's almost inverted. It's, it's uh, the more important the people that you supervise, you actually need to serve. And, th- the chief is great. I'm not talking bad about chiefs or deputy chiefs that they have a role, but the person that really represents your agency is the person on the ground going out every day, talking to everybody. And if their values aren't in aligned with the organizations, you're going to have some problems. And that's what we see. Absolutely. And, yep. and uh, yeah, I would say the fun part of going out there and working nights and doing all that, that was really fun. And uh, I miss that because I spend more time behind a desk, right? And that's not yep. that's not as sexy. But uh, it's just a different set of challenges, right? Different different set of challenges and involves a lot more typing, which I don't really care for. 
but <laughs> where where would you say so i think this is a great pertinent topic uh we'll see what the the listeners think um but where would where would people go if they want to learn more about this so they're at their agency they're listening right now and they're like we don't really have anything like that how do i start learning about how to impact my organization towards a more uh, intentional approach so I think it depends on where you're where you're situated and what county you're in. Um, down here in San Mateo and Santa Clara County, we have um, it's a, an officer level SLI program, if you will, called Inner Perspectives, and um, it's over I think a ten month period, and they go to um, a, a all day class like once every uh, few weeks, and they do assignments in between, and they're really coming together to talk about uh, some of these leadership topics and scenario-based learning to where they're learning and, and perspective taking. I think that was a really big piece of it. So we push our officers through that as often as we can. I mean, COVID, of course, kind of interrupted the flow, but we try to get our officers through that. We also send our sergeants to SLI. So you're going to find some resources um, for leadership development um, throughout law enforcement channels. You know, PERF, uh, the Police Executive Research Forum, is a really good resource. Um, they're kind of on the, the cutting edge of what's happening and they interview chiefs all across the country and deputy chiefs and, and initiatives and they highlight a lot of really positive things. Um, IACP is another place to kind of get a pulse on what the challenges are. More locally, um, I would look at your uh, community colleges if you have a leadership program in, um, I know Sonoma County has uh, Santa Rosa Junior College, which is a fantastic junior college. And I don't know lately if they have a leadership program, but um, I'd look and see, you know, what is aligned there. Um, you can take classes uh, to learn more. If you just want to get a stronger education in leadership, I think you could look at classes. You don't have to commit to a degree program necessarily, although I would highly recommend St. Mary's uh, leadership program. It's a hybrid program, not a hundred percent online normally when we're not in COVID. And for me, that is how I learn. I need to be with other people, learning with other people. And so we would meet on executive weekends every six to eight weeks um, and, and be there all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then the rest of the work we did was in between, uh, you know, online and, and that kind of thing. Uh, St. Mary's also has a leadership um, center that folks can go to. In fact, um, we just engaged with the Leadership Center at St. Mary's for um, leadership coaching for folks in our agency that have recently been promoted to help them transition from, you know, a, a frontline role to a formal leadership role, or if they're a sergeant, you know, going to a lieutenant position, really kind of getting their legs under them, just providing that support. And it's not from a you're you're not doing well we're going to bring in a coach a lot of people think you bring in coaches when people aren't performing um, but i think you can bring in coaches to support them in their transition on their promotion and then of course um you know i'm out there i'm a resource i love helping law enforcement folks i help a lot of people prepare for promotion and get themselves ready for the interview um, and i do um, do some coaching on the side through uh, athena leadership coaching is my my company. I don't have a lot of time to spend on that because I'm very dedicated to what I'm doing, but it is definitely my passion and my joy. And I love, 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 love supporting people in their journey and for their success. So there are a lot of resources out there available. We just have to know where to look and who to talk to. And take the initiative. Don't wait for your agency or someone to do it for you. Yeah, you got to want it, right? It, this isn't something that's going to be, you know, shoved down the, your throat and and you've got to, you know, start researching. I mean, there's a few TED Talks that are good. There's a lot. There's so much material. That's that's where I think people get caught up is they get overwhelmed because there's so much. And, and so start small. Just ask someone that you know and that you appreciate or respect and say, just give me one leadership resource. What is one book you listen to that you think would serve me? And think more specifically about what exactly are you looking to, are you looking to build your interpersonal skills? Are you looking to build your communication skills? Like what about in the leadership arena? That's a pretty broad topic. What in there are you really looking? Are you really interested in? You know, I leaned into um, adult development theory and took some classes online for that. And that was to me very fascinating and I won't bore you with all the academics, um, but I got into that. And then uh, the art and science of change management 
because that too was very fascinating from an organizational standpoint. So there are specific, um, you know, niches within leadership that people could kind of lean into. And then from there, it'll just explode. Yeah, we often think that uh, we read some leadership books and we go to some motivational speakers and we listen to some TED Talks and, and all that stuff's great. I read all the time. I listen to uh, lots of podcasts. I listen to audio books. I have mentors in my life that were and are really good leaders that I talk about nuances with. But you, you got to look at it like a skill set, just like we do everything else in our job, right? Like analyze myself, figure out what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and build upon both of those. But do it purposely because uh, you can soak up stuff with no real plan, but your efficacy is going to be limited, I guess. You know where I feel like there's a gap, to be honest with you, Marcus, is, you know, listening to podcast, you know, I do the same. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listen to podcasts. And um, I mean, I'm in the practice of of coaching other people. So I feel like I'm not only working as a, as a deputy chief in a police organization and, and with the lens, you know, the leadership lens on, I do my work, but I'm also doing the coaching. But for people that are just starting out, I think the piece that's really where we're lacking that we need to create a community of practice. There's no, there's not a lot of opportunity for us to have these conversations or that's where coaching comes in is if you could bring in a coaching uh, concept into the way that your supervisors approach their work, you're creating the dialogue and that's what we need. We need to be able to solve problems with each other. We need to have the leadership lens on when we're doing these things. And I think if you could create that in your organization, even in small groups or lunch and learns or whatever is culturally you know, appropriate in your own personal organizations, having these conversations, every, every law enforcement organization that I know, every police department that I know has command staff meetings. Right, you're already gathering via Zoom or in person when we're not in COVID, right? So you have an opportunity to spend some time to talk about these concepts and to share an article and then to come back and say, what did you take away from this article and how does it apply to what we need to do in, in our organization? There's opportunities that you just have to be courageous enough to put it out there and you really need buy-in from the top. So those are the things I would say that we need to really lean into. And I know uh, many chiefs around the state that do just that. And they're absolutely fantastic. You know, Cal Chiefs um, really has been focusing a lot on leadership development. Um, and so hats off to them. But I think we need to be deliberate about it. It can't be something that's pastime or we can't say we're too busy. That the days <laughs> that we're too busy to worry about leadership development are long gone. Those do not belong in the same sentence. Yeah, we're all busy. Everyone's busy from the the person who just got off FTO to the chief and we're all going to struggle with staffing. And, uh, sometimes, uh, maybe this is the wrong analogy, but sometimes, uh, officers will come to me and talk to me and go, Hey, how come, how come they haven't fixed this? How come command staff hasn't fixed this? How come they haven't fixed that? How come they haven't fixed this? And I go, Hey, look, everybody's spinning in their hamster wheel as fast as they can right now. And nobody yeah. has built in time to walk around and progress and fix things. And so we're constantly solving emergencies and going to meetings and putting out fires. And you, you have to purposely build in that time to, to progress you know, your, your, your strategic plan, right? Like we all have a strategic plan. We stop, right. we go, hey, okay, where am I at? We give ourselves time hacks, we progress through that. But then there's other parts like coaching, mentoring, leadership that we kind of do, but we don't we don't have that formal plan yet. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on is it's the same if you're in a small team, it's the same if you're in a special enforcement team, probation, it doesn't really matter. The, the bigger you go in your organization, just the more people it is, but it's the same thing. And uh, that's what makes our profession so great. People are still attracted to our profession because of the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have nowhere else in society. Is there a tight knit group of people where you can go anywhere in America and have very similar values and acceptance. And, and that's a special thing. And people yeah. are attracted to it because society yeah. is so fragmented that right. they see value in that. Absolutely. I'm drawn to the, just the nobility of, of the profession. And, and I, I'm still extremely proud of the women and the men that I work with. And like you said, it doesn't matter where you go, you know, by and large, I run into just amazing people in law enforcement. And I know that is the story. And that's the, that's, you know, 
Are, is it riddled with problems? Do we have lots of room for improvement? You bet. And am I at the table having those conversations with our community stakeholders and supporting the rest of our organization and in identifying that? Absolutely. But by and large, we are a, a group of amazing people doing uh, really important work to keep our families and our community safe. And that's what it's about at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. Going uh, One of the cool things about being part of Cato is I get to go up and down the state and meet uh, gals and guys in SWAT teams and different leadership positions. And every single time I come back with my batteries recharged and just thoroughly yeah. impressed with the caliber of human being that continue to step up and do this job. Like every single time, just this week, we're in San Jose teaching a team leader and commander and everybody's so smart. Everybody's so committed. It's uh, every time I'm just so impressed and I'm like, we're, we need to highlight that more that people don't have any, have no idea how smart the people are. The majority of them that work for us. Now, as I say that the people listening are thinking of the dumb person that we all know, but <laughs> per percentage wise, they're, they're still rare. And yeah. if you're not thinking of the dumb person in your organization, then it might be you just something to think about. <laughs> So uh, on that, I will, I will say thank you. Any last words for anybody? And uh, I'll, I'll put some notes uh, in the bottom so that uh, people can check out some of those resources that you said. I'm a big fan of joining those organizations, even if you're not a, in a position of rank, because it's going to give you perspective and give you resources absolutely. that you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, absolutely. No, this has been fun. I think we need to do more of this, whether it's a recording a podcast or just uh, getting you know teams of people together to have these conversations uh, for a deliberate purpose. Um, I am uh, a very passionate about leadership and about law enforcement, and it was I'm just honored that you invited me on the show. So thanks so much. Well, don't be too honored because my mom listens and my sister, and then any of my subordinates that I order. After that, it's kind of you know, kind kind of we'll see. So thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon, but uh, again, uh, hopefully there's some value for folks and some direction. And just uh, remember, there's a bunch of great people just like you listening that are committed to our profession and uh, things will get better. This is really a small blip in our history and it's just something we have to go through. We'll get there. All right, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.